0: Welcome to Systems Talk. I'm Paul Weller, Director of Media Services at CISC. This year, we're putting a spotlight on PR, breaking down myths and tips on public relations for school leaders. Today, Dr. Lori Miller and Jerry Gallagher of the Donovan Group are gonna cover communications safety self-audits. This session will help you review the basics of effective crisis communication planning. Lori, thanks for joining.
1: Thank you. Well, we're excited too and really grateful to have this opportunity. And today we want to address your safety and crisis communications. And to just give a brief introduction, uh, my name is Dr. Lori Miller, and I'm currently a partner with the Donovan Group and have been for almost a year now. Prior to that, I've had 26 plus years as an educator, first as a teacher, then as a director of teaching and learning. And the last six years I served as a superintendent for a school district in South Central Wisconsin. Today, I am based in Florida and happy to be serving school districts across the country. Jerry, I'm gonna turn over to you. Uh,
2: My name is Jerry Gallagher. I'm a partner with the Donovan Group. I've been with the Donovan Group for uh, four and a half years. Before that, I was in broadcast journalism as a news anchor for 18 years. Uh, in the Midwest. And so I think when it comes to crisis communications, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we move forward. But um, uh, Lori and I both bring different uh, skill sets uh, to this arena when we are talking to schools and helping them deal with uh, urgent or crisis situations. And with my, uh, my skill set really operating in, in the realm of I've been on the other side and, and I know what kinds of questions are going to come and being able to help you deal and work with the media when a crisis does arise. uh, I also, in my uh, position with the Donovan Group, support schools uh, across the Midwest and day-to-day needs as well. So about the Donovan Group, we are a national communication and community engagement firm that works exclusively with public schools. There are a lot of communications firms out there across the United States but very few of us only work in this arena and work exclusively with public schools. We provide a full range of communication services including 24-7, 365, crisis and urgent communications assistance.
1: So to start we want you to think about what is transpiring in your schools and your communities and You know, since March 11th of 2020, when we all got that notice that we were going to be um, dealing with a pandemic, things have changed considerably in all of our roles. You know, people are angrier, and I think that's due to loss that people are experiencing, you know, whatever that loss may look like since that pandemic started. Staff members are tired. We're asking them to do way more than they, they thought they would be asked to do. A lot of times we're leaning into them to to work longer hours, take take uh, other people's responsibilities that aren't able to be present board members too, they're getting more than they expected. Um, You know, I can say as a former superintendent in Wisconsin, it was very difficult to watch my board members get pushed and pulled by community members about expectations for how to keep our schools open during that time. The needs of our students have definitely shifted. Uh, We need to accelerate learning um, due to the loss that they experienced, as well as we have a lot of students that are coming to us with intensified trauma and mental health needs. We think it's really important to lean into some key principles. So we're gonna go through these fairly quickly, but they really transcend from any general communication into what we would do with crisis communications. And the first one is always seek the high ground. This is your superpower as the most professional, reasonable, thoughtful person in the room and with your team. So there are going to be times when you are are pushed or your people seek to get into some kind of conflict with you. And one of the things we want you to think about is lean into how you are that most professional, reasonable, thoughtful person, and that your ethics, your professionalism, your values that is your superpower or your superpowers and that you should always try to take that high ground and think about what is best for our students and not let things become personal. Our number one priority is protecting children. And this is true even if parents are willing to exploit their own children to make political points. I think it's also important to lean into our why why we do the work that we do each day. And when we have crisis and when we have uh, individuals who don't see eye to eye or there's controversy, um, it's, it's a good place to start is to remember why do we do what we do, explain the what, the how, and the when, and when we start there, I think people can find common ground to take those next steps to do what's best in the, in the best interest of the students and for the overall organization. When possible, we do think it's important to play offense. Uh, As school leaders, you generally know when bad news is coming and not always, but generally. And if that's the case, take that as an opportunity to go on the offense and communicate directly what you want your stakeholders or constituents to know rather than waiting for others to share your information as paul started out today if we don't tell our own story somebody will and so this is really taking ownership of key messages and getting out in front of others when we know that there's the potential for um, some negative publicity or pr to come to our schools
0: i know you're both talking about crises but you know that might look and seem different for each school. It's not up to the Donovan group or CISC or really anyone else to define a crisis for you. It's truly dependent on the situation, team, and environment. So, so Jerry, what happens after a school finds themselves in a crisis?
2: So once you've defined it and you believe that this is something that you, you would need assistance with, then there are a certain number of steps to undertake to be able to move forward from that. And number one, get as many facts as quickly as you can. The who, the what, the when, the where, the how, You know, not necessarily the why immediately, that's not as important. These other uh, um, questions are and be as specific as you possibly can.
1: And with that step two, one of the things that I think is important to think about is lining up your team and get help if you need it. I'm anticipating that many of you may be more rural and smaller school systems. And when you see this, you're like, well, who would my team be? I can tell you that you know my experience with 3000 students is when I had a crisis, I, I was fortunate to have an hourly employee that could support me with some communication but there are others that maybe you don't think of that may be on your team that can assist. I know that uh, Paul can set you up with some of your colleagues that might be able to support you in a time of need. The Diamond Group can help you in a time of need. Um, You might need to lean into your local law enforcement. So think about who your team members are and who you can reach out to even beyond the walls of your organization. Um, And you also want to think about if the situation is truly severe, um, like something that's truly traumatic and, and it's gonna require a lot of of support to designate someone who's gonna be in charge of your second-tier communications. Jerry, do you wanna talk a little bit more about second-tier communications?
2: Yeah, I, I sure can. I mean, I think it's important to know um, who it is after that initial line of defense in a way that you need to go to. And in a way, having kind of that chain of command or command structure. And um, because that second tier, Lori, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, that, that isn't just, I mean, we're dealing with parents right away. We're dealing with students right away. But you have to, I believe, have a, a sense of beyond that, who could own that story in your community that you want to be able to get in front of. And a lot of times that would be um, the media, Um, I also think just your social media community, which is expansive. And so how do you get uh, the communication out to them? At some point in time, you're gonna have to determine whether to limit two-way communication on that platform, but it's important to have kind of that list of, okay, who do we need to go to and, and when? When seconds matter, it's hard to refer to a document, right? Lori? you've been through this many times. However, in practice, if you can review this, it can become second nature. If you're going through this every so often, just to review review the plan, you can know, all right, who do we need to contact right now? Now I need to uh, look ahead maybe to the next half an hour. Who is that kind of second tier communication wave? Creating a public key facts document is another step that you can take as we find that that's helpful to have um, just a simple fact sheet that you can log where all of the facts that were recorded earlier um, because you are going to refer to this. And this is a law enforcement tip because as they investigate, they often find that the interviews that they do initially tend to really hold up uh, during the course of time because as hours and days go by, we tend to become uh, less clear about what it is that we have witnessed or what it is that we're talking through. So if you can log the information as quickly as possible as you're, as you're getting those facts down, that will be a huge supportive tool for you uh, moving forward.
1: So step six is about restricting media access to the building. And a lot of times we'll get calls from districts who are a little bit in a chaotic moment when they're dealing with a crisis and the media starts showing up because they're getting information off of Facebook or Twitter. And they want to have access to your building. They want to have access to your staff. Maybe it's your students. And the best thing to do in a situation like this is really understand what your board policies permit and not permit in terms of media on your school grounds. Uh, It's going to be really important for the safety, which remember, that's one of our top priorities for the safety of the students, that we keep those disruptions about the crisis to a minimum. And we don't allow reporters into our school after a crisis and do not allow them onto your property, if at all possible, based on your policy.
0: Thank you for that, Lori. I've talked with many schools who get tripped up on media access. and. In our next episode, we're going to break this down further and cover additional tips when dealing with the media.
1: Thank you for sharing that. That's great insight. So step seven is stay connected with your attorney, your administrative team, and your board members. I think it's easy to, um, when, again, when you're dealing with a crisis, to forget how important it is that your internal stakeholders or constituents know what's going on. And I think, too, that, you know, from the superintendent lens, it's it's sometimes challenging to know when it's appropriate or not appropriate to call your attorney. I would say whenever you're dealing with a crisis, it's a really good idea to consult with your legal attorney or your legal counsel to make sure that whatever is transpiring, there aren't legal ramifications that would also impact the communications that are going out at that same time. So the way you're communicating, not only with your external stakeholders, but also with how you're communicating with your administrative team and your board. So it'll be important to think about providing frequent updates to all three of these groups and kind of takes us back to step four when we're thinking about creating that proactive list of who needs to be informed in the first half hour, hour, et cetera.
2: Yep. step eight, counseling students and staff and informing them that they do have the right to speak with the media, but they also have a right to refuse. Um, I believe that this is a step with staff that could be taken at the beginning of the year. And so this is something that possibly during orientation or professional development or something like that, if you're talking about communications or a crisis situation that you can let staff know. That's very difficult in the heat of the moment to remember this step. And so that's why I think it's important to to let them know what their rights are up front, And then students uh, in the moment, if you have the opportunity to let them know that they can speak, uh, but they also have a right to refuse.
1: Yeah, and I I think maybe to just take it another step further, as Jerry's saying that, thinking about if you all do some type of safety or crisis, uh, professional development or drills or practices with your staff and students, to think about wrapping this component into those drills and practices to create muscle memory or to just alert and inform your staff and students about what they can and cannot do during these times, I think is really important thing to think about.
0: If you wanna hear the rest of the conversation we had with Lori and Jerry, please visit keepindianalearning.org and search for our Spotlight on PR series. This year, Systems Talk is powered by Keep Indiana Learning The Donovan Group and Media Services. Make sure to subscribe, share, and leave a review. Next time, we'll continue the conversation with Joe Donovan, founder and president of The Donovan Group.